This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Our guest today on the Internal Consulting Group Global Thought Leader podcast is Vlatka Hlupic. She is the professor of business and management at the University of Westminster, a former adjunct faculty at the London Business School, the visiting professor at Burbank College, part of the University of London, and the founder and chief executive officer of the Drucker Society in London. She is an author, a speaker, TED Talk presenter, and we are here to talk about her book, The Management Shift, and her forthcoming book, which she'll reveal to you. Welcome, Vladka. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's, it's great to be on the show. We've got lots to talk about because you've got lots to share. Let's start off with The Management Shift. What needs to shift and why are we shifting? Well, we need to shift because we have a problem. The global figures for engagement, for example, show that only 13 to 18% of people are fully engaged at work. Global figure for passionate work, for performance uh, are rather low as well. And in the last 50 years, um, corporate life expectancy and also performance have declined by 75%. Substantially. So, yeah, I just saw the numbers. Uh, it used to be corporations lasted for 61 years. Now the expected age is 18. Absolutely. And the main reason for that are all ways of working, all ways of managing and leading organizations, which are based on traditional hierarchical command and control, micromanagement, standardization, specialization that work well in a production economy where productivity was the key. But it is very detrimental for performance in modern organizations, which are highly knowledge intensive. 
So this disconnection between people working and people at work being disconnected, what's the impact on a business when that happens? Well, it has lots of negative impacts because there's a problem with uh, staff retention. There is a problem with declining performance, a problem with bottom line profit uh, declining uh, and and so on. Uh, And I mentioned some figures on engagement. There is a low uh, productivity, passion for work and so on. So we need to change the way we manage organizations. We need to change, we lead organizations and we need to do it through the big shift. And the management shift is the how of this big shift. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about the why. Here's the deal. If we have falling profits, if we have high staff turnover, if we have a lot of customer churn, who gets blamed for that in an organization? Well, any, anyone gets blamed. No. Ultimately, no. The CEO. The CEO, the CEO gets blamed. CEO. Yeah, absolutely. The CEO gets blamed because that's their job. It is their job to run the organization efficiently and most important today, flexibly. Absolutely. Uh, They do get blamed and formally they get blamed, but um, how it gets to be uh, sorted out within the organization and uh, there are other people to to blame as well. But when you talk about blame, that is level two on the five levels of the management ship. We can talk about that in a minute. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, the whole point here is that things are changing so rapidly, we have to change the way we manage our organization. And that's what the management shift is all about. Now, how do you approach the management shift? Let's talk about that. Well, we approach it top-down and bottom-up. So we work with CEOs and senior leadership teams through our programs, um, such as the CEO shift, the individual shift, but we also approach it bottom-up through the organizational shift program where entire organization gets involved. Um, When I talk about the shift, I think... It's very important to talk about the levels first before Let's we talk that. about any, so that uh, listeners can understand what, what we talk about. Um, first of all, I want to say that the management shift overall is my life's work. It's, uh, it's based on over 20 years of my interdisciplinary research and consulting experience. I'm a computer scientist who became behavioral scientist. And because I studied so many different disciplines and worked in different disciplines, I've been able to connect the dots and to create the management shift, which is not just the book. The book is the tip of the iceberg, but there are many uh, online tools, uh, processes, there is a toolkit. So there's an entire system that we use as a consulting company. I, I have to mention that I'm also a CEO and founder of the Management Shift Consulting Limited, which is the company I established uh, after I launched the book and, and it got very successful. So. The the management shift is also the how of this big shift because other scholars talk about why we need to Mm -hmm. uh, shift from old to new ways of working. They talk about the what, what needs to be done. But so far, the how has been missing and the management shift is that big how. Uh, And it has been used over many years with various organizations globally in public sector, private sector, large companies, small companies. They all used it to, to shift to this, this high levels of working, which is level four. And I think I better explain what these levels mean now. Let's talk about these levels. Okay. What, the way, what I wanted to summarize here for our listeners, very simple. Vladka, you are a systems thinker. And what you've done is put together a system that allows us to take an organization and actually transform it into the state they want to be. Not only from your computer programming strategy approach, but also your 
your psychology approach and that combination of systems thinking and human understanding is extraordinary. Share with us your levels. Okay. Well, we have five levels. At level one, mindset is lifeless and the there is corresponding organizational culture, which is apathetic. Yeah, apathetic. Apathetic. <laughs> and, and the uh, customer response is pathetic. I bet we can think of some lifeless organizations that used to be. They don't last long anymore. Absolutely. But before I go through levels, uh, let me just say very briefly that at every level, there is specific mindset, thinking patterns, language used, leadership style, and organizational outcomes. We can't skip the levels. We can only shift to one level at a time. Makes sense. And when we have a critical mass of people, especially leaders at specific level, there is corresponding organizational culture. So as I said, level one, lifeless mindset, apathetic culture, not much gets done. People are too depressed to do anything. And there's a lot of fear and the blame. And you talked about the blame already. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, Sometimes we see pockets of, of different levels in different organizations, but we're talking about a dominant level. So then at level two, the mindset is reluctant and culture is stagnating. Mm -hmm. This is where people do a minimum they can get away with just to get their paycheck. Uh, they bring their body to work, but they leave their heart and mind at home. Think about TV series Office. I think there is a U.S. version as well. There and is. David Brent, that is level two. And we can see some pockets <laughs> of level two in different organizations. And then level three, the mindset is controlled and the culture is orderly. So at level three, we tick the boxes, we do what we are told to do, we are micromanaged. But do you think we are really passionate about the work, fully engaged and performing at high level at level three? I don't think so. Well, what you've, just, what you've just described, Vladka, is actually three levels of hell for both the manager and the worker. Yes. And the sad thing is, this is where majority of organizations are. I would say about 85, 90% of organizations are level two, level three, roughly. Which is the reason why half the Fortune 500 rolls over every decade. And we're expecting to see that go up to 75% uh, starting immediately because of the digital disruption, because people aren't putting it up, putting up with that anymore. Exactly. And, and this is why we have all these uh, figures that we mentioned at the beginning of, of interview. Mm -hmm. People are not engaged. Uh, it's very hard to attract and to keep the talent. It, it's, it's hard to sustain performance and profit uh, long term. And so levels one, two, three, this is traditional management. Mm -hmm. And this is still prevailing today in organizations. And then we go through the big shift, the management shift. This is where we move to level four. At level four, the mindset is enthusiastic. Culture is collaborative. Mm -hmm. And the key words here are trust, transparency, purpose, having fun working, giving back to society, collaboration. This is where we unleash all this internal energy in organizations. This is where we get all the figures for engagement, performance, profit, um, productivity. They all go up substantially. It's a massive shift. A massive shift. It's a massive shift. Mm -hmm. It's a massive shift. We are talking about 200% increase in profit in two years, which we have seen in several companies we worked with. And that would make an executive look good. Very good. And the, the, the paradox here is when leaders let go of power, they get more power back because more is achieved with less effort and they are seen as a true leaders. Right on. 
And then occasionally we can tap into level five energy. At level five, the mindset is limitless, culture is unbounded. This is where we have a highly innovative teams working day and night away from organizational boundaries on some amazing innovations to change the world, to help to solve some big problems to humanity. Think about Google X inventing driverless cars. Think about Elon Musk exploring space and so on. That is level five. We can't be there all the time. We would burn out, but we want to be anchored at level four, tap into level five as often as possible, stay there for a while, go back to level four. When we are at level four, sometimes we go back down, we, we can have a bad day, hear some bad news, but we, we just bounce back easily and quickly to level four and we are much more resilient. Interesting. You've mentioned a couple of leaders that operate at the unbounded level. How about some conversation around organizations that you see that are commonly known at the collaborative level? Um, yes, there are organizations that are at collaborative level. Um, examples, yeah. WL Gore or hmm. Morningstar, for example. Everybody knows about those. Uh, I discovered various other organizations which are described in my new book as well, uh, which we can talk about later. Um, so so they, they, it all started with visionary CEOs that that are able to see that there is a different ways of working, um, which and they were able to just let go of control and just allow this self-organization, experimentation with ideas, distribution of decision-making and power, uh, helped by the use of technology as well so that communication goes in all directions, not just top-down. <laughs> Um, and so on. So, so there are a number of processes uh, that, that can be used to achieve that level four. And this is what the management shift is about. You know, I think it, that you just scared a couple of our listeners. What do you mean distributed decision making? What do you mean letting go of control of the processes? I think some people are just frightened right now. Well, it's, there's no reason to be frightened because... Everything is so complex and volatile these days. We live in this VUCA world. It's impossible for the CEO at the top to have all the knowledge to make the right decision for organization. So it is a good idea to let people who have the best knowledge, the best experience, that they have the know-how of what customers know at the lower level to make those crucial decisions for the business if they have the best knowledge. Because as I said, it's impossible for or somebody at the top to, to have all the, all the knowledge and, and the whole decision making, it, it, it takes such a long time when it's all trickled down from top down. So, so And there's well, a lot of mistakes because we move so fast today. Technology absolutely. is advancing so rapidly, both human technology as well as digital technology and everything else involved. And if you can't delegate down, you're dead. Absolutely, absolutely, because it takes such a long time and, and you do make mistakes because you just don't know what's best because people dealing with the customers, another example, Handels Bank, and for example, they decentralize their branches and they outperform other banks and they, they survive the financial crash much better than many other banks and so on. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And the reason why is because banks tend to serve communities. And the culture of the bank needs to adapt to that local community. And if you have a centralized bank and you're imposing a culture on every branch, you are going to disconnect from, I don't know, 80, 85% of your communities that you serve. 
Absolutely. That's what the CEO said. Well, we're sitting here in the ivory tower. We don't know what the customers want, but the managers of local branches, they do, and they can make decisions on the basis of the needs and wants of their customers. And that's why they perform so well uh, over many, many years. Beautiful. I think that the whole idea here is that we have to change how we behave, given the fact that humans are more and more demanding to be recognized as individuals versus as monolithic responders to a monolithic corporation. And that means there's going to be a lot of variability. There's going to be a lot of complexity. One thing I do know is that executives know very clearly the direction, but they don't know the details. They leave that to the people, the good people that they've hired. Now they know the details that matter. And I think that's really an important component of this being collaborative and unbounded. Really, really good. We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the Internal Consulting Group's monthly executive magazine, the Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. So how do you implement this shift? My bet is that you probably work more with companies that are controlled to collaborative than lifeless. <laughs> you can't skip the levels. So the, the perfect clients would be somebody at level three who has open mind and awareness of the benefits of shifting to level four. And how do I do it? Uh, how do we do it? I have a team that works with me as well. Uh, we'll we use tools and processes. So, so coming back to the five levels, I've been using this level for a number of years to help uh, CEOs and C-level executives and the executive teams to shift to level four. And then one day I had epiphany, another epiphany, I love epiphany. So I thought <laughs> I had to figure out how to help entire organization to shift to level four. And I had to figure out how to help many organizations to shift to level four globally. Mm -hmm. So I went back to my research again, and I did a lot of more research, and I looked into data from dozens of case studies, hundreds of interviews, thousands of references. Through thematic analysis, I figured out that there are around 150 factors in organizations that drive innovation, value creation, performance, profit in companies. That's a lot of complexity, 150 it's factors. Yes, but what I did, I think what people said I did, I made complex simple. So I grouped those factors in six key areas. Right. And that is how I created the six box leadership model. And then I created an online diagnostic tool with 120 questions that collects qualitative and quantitative data to measure hidden strengths and weaknesses for companies or parts of an organization in those six areas. And those areas are culture, so we can measure what kind of culture organization has, relationships, how well people work together, individuals, their mindset drives, motivation, strategy, how it gets developed, executed, systems, how the work gets done, resources. And this is like an organizational MRI 
So we scan and see what works well, what where are the bottlenecks. And then in the next phase, we prescribe the medicine. So we use the action planning process I designed using, uh, using design thinking. And, and then we work with the clients to help them to design a one-year action plan, which will be very specific. Uh, so we will select a, a few key strengths and weaknesses, strengths to, to develop further and weaknesses to, to address. And then we end up with this specific action uh, where it is uh, specified who is going to be responsible for this action, what is going to be done, what is the time scale, how will the, the success be measured, and so on. And then we can rescan within 12 to 18 months to see how well we are at the level four then. Um, and examples, we use it with lots of companies. It was used for the UK government. We we designed a, a training program for senior civil servants on the basis of this work. Uh, but, uh, which which lasted for three years. It was used for FTSE 100 company to improve performance of company, and within three years, profit went up by 213%. We use it, for example, for National Health Service Trust to to shift the company to become more humane and, and more people purpose focused and they started investing more in well-being and training and development of employees so there are different benefits for example city of london uh, insurance company they became more charitable um, externally but also within uh, internally within their own company they became more transparent open and that really helped uh, uh, the engagement of, of staff and so on so the different benefits uh, and we collect data once it takes less than 20 minutes to, to go through a survey we can survey thousands of people at the same time through software then we get the data we get the report and then we can use it for lots of different areas so, so it can be used as a culture shift Tool, but so we have to help to shift to level four. It can be used to design bespoke training program. It can be used for mergers and acquisitions. For example, we scan company A, company B, and then you see what sort of trouble you are going to get into when you try to merge apples and pears. And we can we can manage that. Mm -hmm. Or apples and rocks. Anything, yes. <laughs> um, it can be used as a performance improvement tool or to facilitate talent strategy or risk. Like it can flag risks in financial sector companies. Um, it can be used for succession planning, um, diversity inclusion, clinical governments in healthcare and so on. So it's very versatile. We use it in, in different industries uh, with very large companies where we'd, we would do a sample of, of uh, employees uh, and that will go through a survey or, or small companies. Um, so it's, it's quite flexible. So this is the big how in, in, in a nutshell of the big shift. I have been thinking uh, with, with my team, how do we make the humane capital alive? How do we help people to really grasp all these concepts? Because there's so much data in there. And I know from my research in, in, in education that you really need to experience it uh, practically to really learn and remember. So what we did, we developed a board game, Humane Capital, which will be launched at the same time as the book in October this year, where uh, a group so between one and eight people can use the board game and explore the pillars, learn about the pillars, uh, learn about the key strategies to support each of the pillar and, and also 
decide on some action that they can take on, on some of those strategies. Um, so it's intended to be used internally within organization, um, with the senior uh, management teams, but also for MBA students, they can, they can then learn the pillars and strategies and see how organizations can become more humane. I think that's really and clever because today, half the population learns through gaming. Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot of components to this, but it's a complete package, which is the model, it's the analysis tool, it's the diagnostic tool, then there's the prescriptive uh, outcome that falls out of that, and then there's the implementation plan so that it actually happens. There actually is the transformation through time. And then the yes. ability to go back and check and find out how healthy you've become uh, versus the goal of the executive. This seems to me to be a program that must be driven by the board of directors or the CEO level. Absolutely. These, these are our key clients. So it has, we, we need to have a buy-in and sponsorship from the top. Um, CEO level, um, executive board, they need to understand the benefits before they they, they start uh, implementing and, 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 and going through the program. That, that is crucial. And then it goes top down and the bottom up because the way it was designed was that when we go through action planning process, it's a, we use a kind of a, a crowdsourcing approach where employees at different levels are asked to contribute with their ideas what would work best and what kind of small changes can be done for big impact. We know from complexity theory we can do that. Mm -hmm. A small change can lead to big impact. And the people on the ground, people working with customers, they they have this knowledge. We know that innovation can emerge in any pockets at any level in organization. So I deliberately designed it so that people's voice is being heard. And we know from research when people participate in, in strategy development, in planning development, the execution will be much more successful because it hasn't been imposed top down. Well, it's a complete alignment of their motivation and relationship with the outcome we're looking for. And this is a combination of two interesting things. One is the idea of what's the highest leverage item that we can select. And number two is what is going to be the reason why we're willing to pull that lever. And doing so at all levels creates immediate engagement, which you said is one of the biggest things that we're missing. And it also brings into play the most desirable factor for employee engagement, which is being in on things. Absolutely. If people get involved, they, they will uh, give everything they can in the implementation phase. And that is the whole idea behind it. And when you engage people at all level, and when we do diagnosis, we can slice the data anyhow. So per manager level, so we can see the scores for CEO and an executive team and middle-level management and everybody else, or we can slice per department or geographical location. And it's very interesting when we separate the data from uh, top-level management to everybody else. People at the top think that they know what is happening in organization, but, but the data can show that they actually don't. And everything is done anonymously. And, and for every question, people can write comments. They can just open their heart and their soul and say what 
how they really feel about certain aspects that we are measuring. And it's all done in a safe way. It's all anonymous. So there is no way to trace back who said what. And with that openness, uh, a magic can happen in organization. Yet executive listening right now, it means that you have to have some courage to be able to face the truth about what's really going on in your organization. And if you've got that courage, then you can make the shift. Let's make a shift to talking about your new book, which is uh, going to be released very soon, um, if not already released by the time a listener you're listening to this. Why did you write it, and what is it? It's called the man. It's called Humane Capital, and uh, the subtitle is How to Create a Management Shift to Transform Performance and Profit. So, uh, in 2015. Um, I had a big birthday coming up and I thought, what am I going to do? And I was, I didn't fancy climbing the mountain or doing some marathons. And I thought, would it be amazing if I interview 50 leaders uh, about their uh, strategies and their mindset for the shift, how they have done it in the practice? And that's what I started doing. And then I couldn't stop. So I, I kept <laughs> doing those interviews. So at the end, I interviewed 58 leaders. I had about 272,000 words of uh, qualitative data in transcripts. Um, I collected information about 35 case studies, and those leaders have all, all together combined experience of over 1,700 years of leadership practical experience. So it's it's an amazing uh, collection of, 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 of data sources. and. Um, I've analyzed everything manually and through uh, computer software and Vivo. And the book has, in the, the first uh, four chapters following introduction, has 35 case studies grouped in per sector. So we have a, a chapter on private sector, corporations, SMEs, and non-profit. Non and at the end of each chapter, there are 50 strategies that CEOs and leaders can use in, in those sectors to make their organizations more humane. So it's all about shifting to level for humanizing organizations and also it's all about uh, doing uh, good by doing uh, doing well by doing good Very showing nice. that showing that companies that are socially responsible they have a substantially better long-term performance as well well that is so critical as we make the shift from the baby boomer culture to the millennial culture where millennials are more focused on culture than they are on career Yes, absolutely. Um, so I, I have these case studies with those specific strategies for those specific sectors. And then I pulled all data together from all sectors, from all interviews. And then I figure out that there are eight key pillars that, main, that make companies more humane. What would and, you share and, with us? Preview for us those eight pillars. I'm not allowed until oh, October. Oh, not allowed. Okay. We're going to have to go get the book to get the pillars. All right. My, my publisher said before October, I can talk about the book, but I can't say what the eight pillars are. But but in Chapter 7, I have some other very interesting material I can share. And already I'm publishing some, some articles about it. So I'm also talking about what are the key barriers, so why it's not happening on a larger scale. We said at the beginning we only have 10 15% of companies 
operating above level three. Uh, we also talk about the value of that big shift to mm -hmm. level four and to humanizing organizations. And that was an awesome uh, um, conversation I had with all these leaders because the value that they have identified um, is, is so, so powerful and it ranges from qualitative to quantitative value. So some people say it's the matter of life and death. It's the difference before, between having a meaningful life and not living at all. And some people gave me figures, uh, tens of millions, billions of pounds, or some people say it's priceless. There is no price for magic. You can't measure it. It's really the only way forward. So, so I got some really, really powerful quotes from all these leaders about why we need to operate at level four and, and what are the benefits or what is the price to pay if you don't do it? Basically say, well, we wouldn't be around anymore if it didn't shift. That's right. The price of failure right now is corporate death, which, of course, is lethal to a CEO. Really, really good. Lots of good things. Can't wait to see your latest book, The Humane Capital. I love the title. And so how do people get a hold of you, Vladka? Um, best way to, is just to email me. Um, so people can email uh, to info at themanagementshift.com. I have the website, themanagementshift.com, and the contact details are there as well. So either info at themanagementshift.com or using my first name, Vlatka, at themanagementshift.com. Um, so we work with clients, but we also work with consultants and trainers that work in executive education because we run um, accreditation programs for practitioners. Um, and trainers so they can use all these tools and processes and uh, um, the, the whole system uh, the management system they can use with their own clients and get access to that with, with my support in the background as well terrific and of course you can be contacted through the internal consulting group thank you for sharing your wisdom and insight and uh, for scaring the heck out of our listener and also giving them some hope Thank you for inviting me here and let's spread the ripples. I, uh, that's the analogy I use with my work. It's all about spreading ripples. That's it. Ripples, let's take them on out. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.